Walter Balper, the Tour Brass, and Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio, making his fortnightly appearance in the program. This is fortnightly appearance. He's the lead prospect analyst for Fangraphs.com, Eric Longenhagen. Eric Longenhagen is the guest on this edition of the program, as he does every two weeks. Longenhagen here endeavors to analyze all prospects of particular note on this occasion, of considerable note on this occasion, the inaugural edition of the Over-Under Prospects game. What is the Over-Under Prospects game? During his last appearance in the program, Eric Longenhagen bet me that Yon Mankata, current White Sox prospect Yon Mankata, would produce a higher war figure in his peak season, his top season, the Mets shortstop prospect Gavin Cicchini would produce in his entire career. At stake, a very masculine pitcher of Sangria at Barrio Queen in Scottsdale, Arizona. After making that bet, Longenegan decided that it might make sense to engage in some other wagers whose outcomes might be decided more quickly. The result is the over-under prospect game. Here's how we play it. Contestant A nominates a rookie-eligible player. Contestant A also sets an over-under figure for that player's war in the year 2017, and then contestant B chooses the over or the under for that war. So, for example, Longenhagen makes the first nomination, in this case for Padres rookie center fielder Manny Margot. He sets the over-under figure for war at 1.5. It is then incumbent upon me to choose the over or the under. That is the template we've followed, and in the conversation that follows, we have each nominated five rookie-eligible players. As with a normal over-under bet, if the outcome matches the over-under figure, that is a push. Whoever accumulates the most correct results, and in this case wins a pitcher of Sangria from Barrio Queen in Scottsdale, Arizona. I will provide a link to the results, which I'm publishing at Instagraphs, but I also encourage anyone to listen to the breathless real-time drama unfold in what's to follow, which is the over-under prospect game. One note, there is uh, 10 minutes of conversation before we get to the game itself relating to a combination of Longenhagen's recording equipment and also Tony Wolters as a catcher. Tony Wolters, Colorado Rockies catcher, Tony Wolters. And we proceed to the game. We proceed immediately now to that conversation. What is it? It is Fangraphs Audio. Who does it feature? Lead prospect analyst for Fangraphs, Eric Longenhagen. And when does it begin? Right now. And they don't pay us to say this, but they could if they wanted to, the, or me at least, not Carson. The, it's called – I think it's pronounced Joby, J-O-B-Y. It's like this website that has all sorts of different um, interesting camera equipment. And my ex-girlfriend used to have one of these little tripods that had flexible spider-looking legs. And she'd wrap the legs yes. ar- around nature and and stuff and take pictures of, when she'd go on hikes. And I stole the idea to – like they attach very nicely onto light posts at high school fields and wrap around the backs of seats at stadiums. And for a while, I clipped my phone into the thing and that just – that wasn't good enough anymore. And now I stick my my camcorder on it. But the camcorder was too heavy, so now I'm having some structural issues, like some of the plastic is cracked and it's not holding as strong. So that clicking that you were asking me about, Carson, before we started recording was me trying to <laughs> fix – like trying to fix these things in anticipation of the, the new season so I don't have to spend 30 bucks on another one. Yeah. I Well, I admire your forethought, if nothing else. Yeah. Well, it's coming, you know. Like there's junior college ball has already started up and my first big – 
big as it as in its important scouting trip of the year is in two weeks when Vanderbilt comes to San Diego. Whoa! Yeah, it's who are they playing? Who are they playing out there? They play the University of San Diego Toreros. Oh, okay. Hey, let me ask you: If I were to write, I have in mind to write something to the effect of. Well, I, I like to write about uh, college baseball sometimes, but I think I'm pretty upfront about the fact that I am not an expert at all in college baseball. Mm, does that offend? I mean, if you're if you're the lead prospect analyst, do you feel no. as though that's fine? Yeah, I think that's totally fine. And okay. I think – have you yeah. looked at Boston College's schedule to, to sort of get a feel for the teams that you're probably going to want to see? Yeah, well, I know they, they're they in the ACC, which usually has some good mm-hmm. clubs. You mentioned Clemson, I think, at some point. Yep, Clemson will be there in late March. Um, I think BC is on the road for Louisville and Florida State, which probably would have been two of the better ones. But, like, North Carolina comes up there for you, too, in early April. So, yeah, I'm going to put you to work. And I think not only will the not only will I ask you to do some things for, uh, like, taking video and uh, peeking at radar guns, but um, but I think it will make for interesting prospect content because you'll, you'll come on here with some – in your natural curiosity will be your guide. and Yeah, well, I appreciate that. Yeah. I, and I would say – uh, that I do have some natural curiosity. I like to understand things. Notre you know, Dame we pra- is up there. You'll per- see. There, you know, yeah. Perform taxonomies. Remember how we we perform taxonomies? I remember that, but do our listeners know about that? No, they don't. As we should <laughs> say that because uh, I've gotten some questions about that. Okay. About uh, the lack of podcasting we've done lately. So maybe well, you should tell people. Well, it's we right. We we spoke for an hour, ten minutes. An hour of it was lost. I suppose I could release the ten minutes. It could be, it could be the uh, DVD extra for this particular edition of the program. Sure. <clears throat> Maybe with some commentary, some whimsical commentary yeah, by so Wes Anderson. Know that I haven't been let go. <laughs> no. no, you've been we doing just, great work. In fact, just today, you released the Cardinals, uh, the Cardinals list. Yep. And uh, there were some intriguing names on there. Uh, for example, let's see. There's a there's a young man about whom the first line you say is, "This guy rakes." It was your Alvarez. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. The um, St. Louis's Midwest League affiliate in Peoria was just as I was talking to scouts. One of the more talent-rich affiliates that I've talked with scouts about since we've started this uh, series. And St. Louis is unique for me. It is one of, if not the organization with which I have the least in-person experience scouting their guys. Because all their affiliates, by the way, uh, I, I I hold an appreciation for the way the Cardinals affiliates are Almost all the Cardinals, there's like the Springfield Cardinals and the Memphis Redbirds and, you know, like that's all they are. They don't have weird names. So thank you for that. I think that's uh, – Oh, OK. Yeah, right. So there's a, there's a cohesion with the, the parent club. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And – but they, they – most of their affiliates, they're all like in the Midwest. Uh, I don't have easy access to any of them. They train on the eastern side of Florida and when I go to Florida, I spend a lot of time on the Gulf, on the Gulf side. So just as far as in-person looks goes, this organization is one of 
my holes. So I had to like source extra hard for this list. Um, and everyone who's seen Peoria raves about the talent there. And like, yeah, there are questions about some of them, uh, starting long term, if their pitchers or their stuff has maybe gone backwards a little bit. Uh, and not everyone is like super enthused about the defensive prospects of Edmundo Sosa and Eliezer Alvarez as middle infielders. But just on the, uh, in aggregate is a very talented affiliate. And Alvarez, who you're referencing, has one of the more uh, natural and comfortable swings and just sort of the the more projectable hit tools of anyone that we've talked about in this prospect series this offseason. Yeah. And I will say with regard to one of their – uh, one of their prospects is uh, I have become particularly enamored of him, especially uh, especially owing to his performance at this year's Arizona Fall League, and that's catcher Carson Kelly. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has nothing to do with the fact that we share the same cognomen or prenomen. Cognomen? Prenomen. Cognomen? Let's say, let's say cognomen. I think so. And um, But what a lot of contact he makes is the uh, – comment i have basically and i guess he's what you seem to suggest that he's an above average defensive catcher yeah it's um almost to the point where his intensity and preparation is a little off-putting in that way <laughs> you know what i mean um but well but yeah. yeah no yes i would say in real life i do not care for hard-working people <laughs> um, but um but no it's like uh if you go – because he made a, a few big league starts and I did put on some some of his big league games to see you know, how he interacted with pitchers. And uh, he's very high energy and very intense and clearly has some creative ideas for sequencing. And um, yeah, I, everyone really likes him. And the ceiling on his defense, despite the fact that he's already 22 and like on the precipice of the big leagues, it's pretty high – Beyond what he already has, which is he's a viable, you know, arguably above average defensive big league catcher right now, but he hasn't been catching for very long. He's one of these converted infielders who move back, moves back there, shows an aptitude for it, and you just let it go, and it's just continuing to get better and better. And um, he's an exciting prospect because there just aren't very many good catchers in the big leagues, period. And uh, this this is almost certainly going to be going to be one. Yeah. What's the? You mentioned that he's already uh, an above average catcher, probably present value, um, and yet he only converted. I think was it you said twenty fourteen, right? Uh, yeah, he was a like a third baseman before that, and I think he started catching full time in yeah twenty fourteen. Yeah. So what? Uh, what? Here's a question. If a club is looking to convert a player to catcher, what skills are they particularly looking to identify? I don't know if it's that you're identifying school skills that are necessary for catching beyond arm strength. I think the converted fielders that you see moved behind the plate always have a strong arm. Um, mm-hmm. But it's just a lack of things that allow them to play other positions. So for the two guys that come – to the forefront of my mind when thinking about converted infielders who now catch are Tony Walters, 
in Colorado, mm-hmm. and Carlos Ruiz. Uh, and both lacked range to play anywhere on the infield. And if you look at Carson Kelly's body, it's just his frame is bigger than both those guys, but it's the same sort of build. It's just not an infielder's build. You just don't have the sort of lateral quickness that you need to play the infield. And I'm sure there are other uh, more subtle things that make you wonder if a guy can catch or not. And we hear the idea of moving guys behind the plate bandied about quite a bit with um, – infielders of a certain build, normally stocky and shorter, less physical projection, guys who probably when they're 24, 25 are going to be, uh, maybe they're only 5'10", 5'11", but, you know, be 215, 220. It's just that's how the body's probably going to develop. And you like something about their offensive skill set that you want to get into the lineup, but they're just not viable defensively anywhere else. And so you try things behind the plate. And sometimes they work out and sometimes they don't. And with Kelly... And Walters and Chooch, they they all have to resounding success, especially on the defensive end. Yeah, yeah, they have. What you got there is a uh, is a reasonable point, Eric. Walters is particularly interesting because I saw that happening in real time. Uh, he was Tony Walters was a uh, shortstop in a. Cleveland system that had a lot of interesting middle infield prospects at the time, uh, like Lu- even guys who hadn't worked out, like Luigi Rodriguez, and there's just sort of a bunch of guys mashed into their lower levels of the minors that could all kind of play second or short, or at least you left them there in hopes that one day they could. And Walter's body just got big and mature faster than the others did, and it was pretty clear that it wasn't going to work at short. And he started catching, and I saw him catch a game early in the season in the Carolina League against Wilmington. He was with it was the Carolina Mudcats at the time. That's not Cleveland's affiliate there anymore, but it, uh, it used to be. And he was really bad. And then I saw him again in the middle of the year, and not only was he fine, but he was actually pretty good. And just talking to the the Cleveland pitchers who were charting that game. I think one of which was Cody Anderson. They said they all loved throwing to him, and they were uh, very impressed at how quickly he'd come along. And it seems like uh, the people I've talked to specifically about Walters cite his makeup as a huge separator there. Um, but uh, but yeah, so I'm not sure if there are any common physical traits that uh, would indicate someone's ability to catch. It just seems like it's a hard job, <laughs> and you have to be willing to to adjust to it. Eric, hmm. your thoughts on Tony Walters are what I describe invaluable. And yet I'm inclined to lead us to, to look at the agenda for this episode. Sure. Yeah. And there's only, there's really only one item there of note, but it's, it's a, it's a, it's a notable item. And um, what it is, is it's the, uh, the over under, we're going to play a game. We're going to play the 2017 over-under prospect game. Over-under prospect game for 2017 with Eric Longenhagen. Are you going to have music behind this now? No, I don't have. Okay. I don't have <laughs> that. I don't have that. No, I apologize. But the uh, right. But it is festive. It's a festive moment, mm-hmm. and here here is uh, here are the rules for the game. Okay, all right. We know that the 2017 season is approaching. 
Some would say not fast enough. Some would say time is not moving fast enough generally. But uh, with regard to the baseball season, I think we can both agree that that's the case. What we would like here, what we would like is uh, for each of us, we each, each of us will nominate five players. I'll go, you go, I'll go, you go, or you go, I'll go. Anyway, <clears throat> you will say, for example, you will say the name of a player. For example, say you were going to, um, well, let's pick one of, you know, let's pick a recent rookie. You say, say, say this was the year Chris Bryant was a rookie, right? Right. And you'd say, you'd say the name of the player, and then you you would, and then what you would do is you would name a war figure for 2017, a war figure, and then it's my duty then to select the over or the under on that uh, relative to that figure. Correct. What do you, yeah, right. Um, and now we've. This, this is the rules by which we're playing. I'll still give you one more chance because there is an alternative version by which we could play where I say where you nominate the player and then I have to provide the over-under figure. That's another version of the game. Do you see any merits to that in particular, or do you think that the person who nominates a player also has to submit the over-under figure? I think that the person who nominates the, the player should set the over-under. Okay. What I like about this game, okay, is that um, we it will last – it will be a competition throughout the year – we can turn to it, and we can weigh our virtue by it. Our manly virtue <laughs> is at stake. It is. Yeah. And it will be a thing that's occurring, and I think that we agree that the what the winner receives a pitcher of sangria from the loser at this next year's Arizona Fall League. Okay. That's, is that that's true? That's doable. Yeah. Those Actually, are the stakes. I was at Barrio Queen the other night and had some sangria, and I can confirm that it is still good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's delicious. What is it? Sorry, what is, what is it? One more time. Where's the place? Barrio Queen. Barrio Queen. Barrio Queen in Scottsdale. Right. If um, Now, ideally, Barrio Queen would just supply the sangria gratis, but uh, that may not happen. Right. <clears throat> Uh, now we have both. Uh, I believe we both come with a, co- a small collection of names, more than five, because mm-hmm. I might pick one of yours, you might pick one of mine. Right. But what will happen is, um, yes, player A will nominate a a prospect, a rookie eligible player has to be a rookie eligible player, and then submit a war figure, and and then the player B must then uh, select over and under. Now, uh, of course. There is uh, any sort of additional drama that can be provided, whether it's in the form of, you know, adding some, you know, in the form of added commentary, would also, I think, be appreciated. Right. I think, uh, at the very least, a discussion about how we're coming to our conclusions or Mm -hmm. why we set the over under where we did is probably a good idea. I would like to, uh, by um, by way of preface, I would like to say that many of my selections. Uh, will are a combination, or perhaps haphazard, okay? Okay. And also, um, maybe I'm a bit prone to enthusiasms. Just want to say that. I, I get, think I get a name that romantic about a player. 
That's fine. I think that this okay. is a relatively informal setting and that I won't judge mm-hmm. you for such. But at the same time, our, our manly virtue is at stake. Sure, of course. So you have the les deux, as the French would say. <laughs> okay. All right. Start. I'll try. All sure. Right. <laughs> Are you going to start? Oh, sure. Yeah. Do you okay. want to? Do you want to start? Yeah, I'll start. All right, player one. All right, so the first player I want to nominate is Manuel Margot. Oh boy. <laughs> oh, Manny boy. Margot, uh, center fielder yeah. for the San Diego Padres, someone I put a. 55 future value on when we did our Padres prospect list that is number two in a very strong system. Made his major league number? Can you remind us who's number one in that system? Anderson Espinosa. Okay. Yep. So Margot, I have uh, one spot ahead of Cal Quantrill uh, and one spot behind Anderson Espinosa. I have the same future value grade on Quantrill and Margot. But Margot debuted at the end of last year. Uh, Mm. Plus, plus run. Great defense in center field. Uh, some the physical tools to hit, but it's more of a con- it's contact geared swing in games than it is during batting practice when he actually has some pretty impressive raw power. The over under I have set for Manny Margot as a rookie in 2017 is 1.5 wins uh, above replacement. 1.5, one and a half wins. Yeah. So, do you have any? I've, is there anything? You're the first person to experience this decision. What is the first thing that popped into your mind when I said that number? One point five. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> if, if, of course, there are not a lot of rookies necessarily who exceed the two win mark, mm-hmm. and those and, and those that do, um, it, they are frequently not. Uh, well, not frequently, I'll say, but with, with some frequency, they are not top. They're not necessarily top prospects. They're simply those players who have had who who uh, have been playing in some proximity to the majors mm-hmm. and who have opportunity. Now, of course, Margot is both a is a, both a talented prospect and also one with a considerable opportunity in San Diego. Mm-hmm. Um, so, of course, two win we two wins we say is an average player. Now, I don't know if this is going to surprise you or not. Uh, with regard to Margot. But I like Margot quite a bit. Um, I like players who make contact, right? If I have a bias, sure. if I have prejudice, it's in that direction. If I and, I and I think, and Chris Mitchell, I believe, has conducted some research uh, which, re, which suggests that players who make contact experience um, easier transitions to the major leagues. And, of course, this is entirely relevant to Margot. Margot has not recorded a strikeout rate below – or, sorry, above 13% mm-hmm. um, over the last three years. Um, he uh, had a better-than-average strikeout rate when he debuted last year for the Padres, even though in some ways it was not an auspicious debut. It was fine. It was fine. It was only uh, 40 plate appearances or so. What I would like to announce to you, Eric Loganagan, is that this for this first player, Manuel Margot, Manny Margot, center fielder for the San Diego Padres, with the over-under set at 1.5 wins above replacement, I will accept. I will, I will take the over. Okay. So I'm writing that down. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So I think that you're, I think that you're right. 
Yeah. Um, I probably would have taken the over in that situation as well. Travis Jankowski was worth two, a little over two wins uh, last year. Was he really? That's yes. a, That's interesting. Um, with terrific defensive metrics in center field, uh, and he hits two forty. Yeah, two two forty. He slashed two forty five, three thirty two, three thirteen. So if you think Margot is going to see uh, pretty significant playing time and in center field and do something similar to that, it's kind of hard to. I think like that one point five to two win range is probably where he ends up. Yeah. Hey, let me ask you this question. Uh, the, I liked Travis Jankowski going into last season quite a bit. Um, one thing I one. And, and, and similar to Margot is uh, – um, well, he, he actually bears some similarities. Maybe he's a poor man's Manny Margot. That's not unfair, I don't think. Um, he made a lot of contact in the minor leagues, but he did not make so much contact last year. Do you have any sense of why that might be? That's a good question. Um, no, yeah, that's hard. Yeah, it's fine. You don't have it's, to have it, it right could, now. Yeah, it could just be as simple as – you know the jump the jump from AAA to the majors is, I think, more substantial than most mm-hmm. people give it give it credit. But yeah, I think we both like Margot quite a bit, and I, the opportunity for him to play is there. There's not necessarily a whole uh, logjam of outfielders at the big. Did you level. consider? Hey, did you consider putting a higher over under on him? It was going to be something between 1.5 and 2, and I just decided that with the playing time the way it was going to be, that it might not – he might not play nothing but center field next okay, year because yeah. I assume Jankowski is still going to play a lot of center field. I, you have to go and look. This is, again, um, like you want to go and look and see how much of the corners did Jankowski play last year? How much did Margot play? Does Margot have more experience in right field than Jankowski does at this stage? Because if Jankowski has played nothing but center field through his entire pro career, well, you can't just kick him to a corner and, and assume it'll work. But if Margot has played there a bunch, then that's where he fits. But then the bat doesn't look as good there this year, especially as a rookie. So that might suppress his war output. But yeah, like, all right, all right, all right. All so there's like right. a lot. Obviously, there's a lot of context. But here are the outfielders on the Padres forty man. Alex Dickerson, Travis Jankowski, Manny Margot, Hunter Renfro, who's left field only, and Franchi Cordero, who has some interesting tools but looked really bad. Like he's just not he's just not a good baseball player type of thing. It's not he doesn't have a good feel for baseball. Um and he's raw from a technical and like procedural aspect, despite the fact that he's twenty three. Uh so yeah, I think Margot's gonna get a lot of playing time. The other thing, and I didn't want to do a whole – like I don't want to hit the Padres or anything super heavy or any one team like that. But mm-hmm. the other thing I did mm-hmm. consider that I did not do was the entire Padres Rule 5 class over under for war. Oh, that would be – okay. Well, maybe next time. Maybe next time. Maybe next time. Yeah, something Maybe next time. The whole Padres Rule 5 class. Listen, allow me to uh, submit the second yeah. name in uh, the 2017 over under prospect game. And the name, whew, the name in question here will be Jose de Leon. Let's do Jose de Leon. Sure. Jose de Leon, excellent minor league numbers despite um, less pedigree. He came out of where, like Nova Southeastern or one of those schools? Is that <laughs> is that at all? Is that right? It's not Nova Southeastern, is it? 
It's not, it's not Nova Southeastern. It's um, a school like Nova Southeastern. Yeah, it anyway. was uh, – hold on. Let me think. Go ahead. Continue, continue. South, South, Southern University. That's right. Yeah, just Southern. Southern University, which yeah. I think maybe also produced Ricky Weeks. Isn't that right? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Uh, so he came out of Southern, uh, 24th round. Right. And did not receive a place on any top 100 rankings this last year, but has been has been striking out a lot of players, a lot of batters in the minor leagues. He mostly does it by way of probably, well, I don't know if this is actually accurate, but it's it could at least make me sound as though I know what I'm saying. Uh, it's more it's more control than command. I don't know if that's true, but I hear I know you write that a lot. That's more control than command. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the case for He's a right lot so of guys. Well. But I, when yeah. I write it, it means that it's the dis, the the difference there is significant. Okay. Uh, so but, yeah, but he, continue. And he's got he does not have necess, he doesn't have he has got average velocity basically, especially right. you know yeah. in the modern game. But he's got an excellent changeup, help neutralize opposing batters. Yeah, it's really good. He is not necess, he's not guaranteed a place in the Rays opening day rotation. However, you have to assume that because they traded away Logan Forsythe, their starting second baseman for him, and the fact that he's had a full season basically at AAA or most of a season at AAA combined Mm -hmm. with time in the majors, he's going to make some major league starts. The projection systems are very optimistic about him. I will say, I will say, I will say for Jose de Leon, now, this is the FIP version of war I'm using. FIP version of war. I will say two wins even. Okay. Two wins even. So now I think the question that I'm answering is, does Jose de Leon, after the uh, what the Rays, Rays perceive to be the arbitration cutoff, accumulate two wins? Um. How did you how do you feel about the rate at which he surrendered home runs after his call up last year? Does that concern you at all? Well, uh he did uh, he mean he allowed a bunch of them. Mm-hmm. Mm, you know, uh, my first thought in the absence of any sort of um, scouting information is always to you know, uh, sort of apply purely statistical concepts to it, which would suggest that it's due to regression because home runs are uh, sort of subject to that. Perhaps right. more of greater concern is the fact that he struck out fewer than 20% of the batters he faced, which did not seem as though that would be the case given his minor league record. Okay. Yeah, I ask because uh, it, it is it is a drop-and-drive delivery. Uh, and the, oh, he's gonna lack plane, isn't he? There's not a lot of plane on the fastball. There's not a yes. lot of plane, man. So, <laughs> so I know, yeah, and I know that like the home run rate should normalize, but it was. It's just one of those things where the scouting report and what's going on statistically maybe jibe in a way that you are a little bit concerned about. Um, so, oh, man, can he two war in? We're getting. I'm guessing. Let's say optimistically, like like twenty start, right? Uh, what would that have to look like over twenty starts? It have to be. I think it might have to be pretty good. <laughs> Who would? 
Okay, well, let's look and see who had some. Well, he's projected. I could tell you on our depth charts. Yeah. He's projected for 21 starts. Okay. The numbers for which he's projected are quite promising. They're pretty optimistic, I think. And he's projected for 2.4 wins. Right. I mean, well, he absolutely was dominant, dominant at AAA last year, so that doesn't necessarily surprise me. Yeah. Uh, do I think he can do like Aaron Nola was worth three wins last year and twenty starts and wasn't didn't have an especially good year? I suppose. So, so for our purposes, the home runs. Well, the home runs will matter because it's part of the fifth generation, sure. of course. Yeah. Uh, Darvish too. But I don't think I'm not sure that De Leon is you, Darvish. Um. Well, you know, I have a 55 future value on daily on that's projecting something right around two and a half wins annually at peak. Uh, I think in his first real big league year, uh, that approaching that is, is not unreasonable, but probably a little bit optimistic. I'm going to take, I'm going to take the under by a hair with daily on. And I think factored into that is the fact that he's had some. You know, he's had some injury issues. He's had to keep his body in check. You know, the reason he wasn't drafted out of high school was was because he was fa- he was fat. Like that was an issue. Um, and then he led his college conference in strikeouts. Like, it's a, like he started getting in shape, and that's when things really started to to take off from the from the scouts I've talked to who who saw him as a young young man. Um, right. But yeah, there's a lot going on. But yeah, I do. I will take the under by a hair. Although I think that you made it pretty difficult. So, okay. Well, I appreciate which the, that. I, which is the idea, I think. It's the idea, man. <laughs> All right. All right. So I'm taking the under. Yeah. The under two. Daily you write it down. Oh, yeah, I am writing all these down. Good. All right. I wrote it down too. All right. Good. Why all right. don't you? Are you ready make... for my second one? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh. N- Oh yeah. All right, Zach, the combination of Zach Birdie and Nick Senzel. Oh Jesus. Ready? Okay, combo package. All right, so these are the two, these are probably the two quickest moving prospects from the 2016 draft. Nick Senzel, the second overall pick, third baseman out of the University of Tennessee, uh was drafted by the Reds. Very advanced hit tool. Maybe you question the ceiling a little bit because you're not sure how much game power there's going to be, and his defense has been mixed throughout his college career. Um, Zach Birdie, low slot righty, pure relief from Louisville, sits like 98 to 102 with arm side movement, and there's a plus changeup in there, and there's a plus slider in there, but it's just purely a reliever. So these are the two guys from the 2016 draft who most people think, and I would include myself, are, as far as hitters and pitchers go, respectively, going to move quicker than anybody else in the class. So Carson's just dually. Combined Wait, you're, two, uh, you're asking me to – you're asking me – you're going to – you're combining Senzel and Birdie. Yes. This Combi- is your this is your second nomination. You're already – you're already showing this does not, no regard. This is – I'm trying – doing what I can to provide interesting listening content to <laughs> the the our listeners. Okay. Uh, and – this is what I've come up with. So, okay. uh, Zach Birdie and Nick Senzel over under mm-hmm. 0.75 war combined. 
Okay. Well, <clears throat> I mean, there. Are, I, I would say probably for a lot of teams, I'd be a little bit skeptical about Senzel, Senzel reaching the majors. But sure. might, I gather that he probably will. Or he could, if not, if only just for a cup of coffee. Do you think he's going to skip high A, or do you think he'll – I mean, what do you think? Um, I think Cincinnati's recent track record of uh, moving prospects up isn't necessarily aggressive. Uh, I think there's a reason that guys like – they were uh, the organization has in general been very patient with even going back to Homer Bailey, like Jesse Winker is 24 now and Amir Garrett is like 25. So they haven't necessarily rushed guys. Uh, with Birdie, the White Sox have. <laughs> Not just their higher college pitching draftees, but just yeah. in general they promote prospects like Courtney Hawkins and Corey Zangari like aggressively almost to their own detriment. Birdie began last season in the uh, uh, rookie level. Right, yeah. He threw one game down here and was 98 to 102. <laughs> and then shot straight up. You know, Birdie is neither control nor command. Yeah, it's kind of – yeah. Well, it's I will like, tell it's you – It's control, yeah. I think there are, there are a lot of opportunities for – both Senzel and Birdie not to contribute to their teams. Sure. Birdie, Birdie's, Birdie's walk rates are of some concern. Senzel, regardless of his, uh, his physical gifts, is, uh, still quite a bit away from the majors. Still was, although he played quite well at low A this past year. Augmented by the fact that I know very little about either of them. I mean, I'm aware of Senzel. I know he played – well, he played third at Tennessee. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Um, Jesse Burkhart wrote admirably about him, if I if I remember correctly. Um, and I'm sure that I've read – yes, yeah, because, of course, you covered the White Sox. So I'm sure that I uh, wrote – I'm sure I've read your comments about Zach Birdie. But I'm going to select the under. Okay. For a combination of the – from from my point of view, the – the unlikelihood that they will both reach the majors and thrive in any capacity, and also ignorance. A, a combo package of those two. Okay. Yeah. I, I accept your answer, yeah. Is that fair? Is that yeah. fair? Yeah, right. it's a little bit more than – part of me wanted to drop the war uh, number to something approaching zero. Just as a binary, will one of these guys debut next year? Well, I'll give you – I'll tell you what. For for. For your sake and also for the purposes of formatting, when I've turned this into a table on yeah. the site, I'm going to give you 0.7 war. That's fine. Is that all right? Yeah. So that'll be a – 0.7 will be a push. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Yes, it will. Yeah, 0.7 will be a push. Okay. Okay. Uh, this is a situation a bit like Margot in the sense that I'm about to nominate a center fielder, a, a rookie-eligible center fielder who's due to receive – uh, probably starter starter time, starting type, playing playing time from the very beginning of the season. It is unlike Manuel Margot in the sense that he is not regarded as much of a prospect in, in terms of one who possesses much in the way of physical tools. Uh, he 
is expected to, as I say, start center field for the Chicago White Sox this year. He is former Cardinals prospect Charlie Tilson. Mm. Tilson is uh, Tilson is is actually pretty. Uh, he's pretty fast. I don't necessarily know. You have probably you actually have written about him. You gave him. Do you remember what you gave him for a run grade? Probably like a six. Yeah, let's see. Yeah, you I gave him a seven actually. Okay. And you saw him at Area Code Games in 2010. You saw him at the Area Codes in 2010, or you heard no, yeah, of him? Yeah, I definitely, definitely did not. <laughs> <laughs> but but you uh, but you caught wind of his exploits from yes. the Area Code Games. Um, so Tilson's interesting because he never really he never made a top 100 list to the best of my knowledge. Um, but oh. following the trade to the White Sox, he you know due to a weak outfield there found his way into their plans. He was immediately injured. Um, following his promotion to the major leagues last year. Yep, torn um, hamstring. But, yeah, it's quite painful, one imagines, but he will be um, – it appears as though he'll be he'll be good for opening day. He made a lot of contact um, over the last couple of years in the minor leagues. And, and again, I, I enjoy that sort of player. I do not think he is men, many Margos equal, but I also think that uh, he, best, uh, he possesses some of the same skills uh, – some of the same skills – and I think he's also, and it also appears that he's going to receive quite a bit of playing time. Mm-hmm. In the case of Charlie Tilson, in the 2017 over-under prospect game, I submit an over-under of 0.9 war. Mm-hmm. <sighs> okay. Yeah, he's definitely – you're looking at a team depth chart that consists of uh, Melky and Avisail Garcia, who are both corner-only guys. There's not going to be a whole lot of timeshare in center field if Tilson comes back and looks healthy. The club's other options out there are Larry Garcia, who has always been more of a utility type in my mind, although I do like him, and Adam Engel, who's – Always been more of a fourth or fifth outfielder for me at at best. And then Jacob May, who sort of has the same uh the same sort of profile. I uh, do a lion's share of Tilson's at bats are gonna come against right handed pitching, which I think will be beneficial. At the same time I am concerned looking at some of the other center fielders around baseball, even ones that are maybe not uh, defensively ideal in center field, but can can do some damage with a bat, certainly more than what Tilson can do. Adam Jones was only worth uh, a win and a half last year. Uh, Jacoby Ellsbury was worth two wins last year. I think these are superior talents to Tilson and certainly have more experience. Point nine is right around what uh, Juan Ligueras and Eddie Rosario did in a little under 100 games. I think I'm going to take the over on Tilson on opportunity. Whoa. Uh, I think that he is going to have the chance to play a lot. I think he at least passes in center field. What would you? What figure would you have? Would have been, would have been more difficult for? Do you think? Because I was thinking 1.1. 1. 1. 
What do you think would have been? I think one is, I mean, Kirk Neuenheis was worth, and I like Neuenheis. I think he's like a decent ball player, but he he did hit two oh nine last year, and was worth an even one even win. And I think if if Tilson is healthy and has the opportunity that I that I think he's going to, based on just looking at what else the White Sox have there, uh, then then yeah, I think a win is pretty reasonable. So, right. so yeah. if I had done one point one, do you think you would have taken the under? No, I think if you would have done like one point five, I would have been comfortable taking the under. So you think that? So in your opinion, Margot and Tilson are going to produce the same number of wins next year? I think it's going to be close, yeah, and I and I think it's because I think most of it is going to be due to the the position that they're playing more frequently. Like I don't do you think Margot is going to see 100% of his reps in center field next year? Cuz I don't. Well, now you're causing or, me to doubt. I would or, have said yes. As t- well, I just And think- then Jankowski in left and Renfro in right. Mm. You don't think so? I think it's you're worth skeptical? wondering. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know anything. I, I I listen to people sometimes, as I I'm um, I'm very impressionable. So like Jankowski, Jankowski played eighty seven. He made seventy seven starts in center field last year. He made two in right and three in left. I think that what will happen is. He'll defer to Margot because Margot, I think, has a better defensive reputation. Okay. Which I think and is ha- true, yeah. And also has uh, – the team traded for him specifically. And but I will they, say they, that Jankowski's name has sort of been kicked around on the trade market this offseason as well. All right. I didn't know that either. See, you, you could have told me anything and I would believe you. That's true. There's, I don't Man, know what to say. I was thinking I was going to get Tilson. There's, All hope, right. there's hope for humanity, Carson. <laughs> All right. All right, come on. What do you got? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, uh, hold on. Where's my list? I've got too many post-its now. All right, so you took... You're doing this by post-it? Well, I just have... That's just what I have laying around. Tilson, 1.9 over. Okay. No, I, I wrote... So, so, so okay. So I, now I have the under on, the, on these two. All right. Oh, I guess you. Yeah, I guess you kind of do. On Senzel slash Birdie and then Tilson. Yeah. Uh, okay. My third one. Yeah, we're halfway through after this. Mm-hmm. Is uh, a rookie that was traded this off season, who was actually demoted to a ball as like a twenty three year old two seasons ago. Uh, 22 or 23 years old when he was demoted back down to A-ball and made some changes and then received some big league time at the end of 2016 and then was traded to Seattle. It's Mitch Haniger. Wow. And I'm He's still rookie eligible? He's still rookie eligible. Oh, wow. That was a good... All right, this is a good one. Okay. Uh, And I'm setting it at... I feel like the 1.5 is kind of a cop-out. And a team, a team actively pursued him. It seemed. I mean, the Mariners seemed to really go after him. Yeah, I mean, they've seemed to uh, go after a lot the, of a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, 
the situation's kind of complicated there. I'll say, yeah, I gotta <laughs> go. I gotta go with like one point six. One point six on Mitch Haniger. Mitch Haniger, who has, I mean, do you think that he is? He's not. I'm not. I, I'm not comparing his defensive skills to Kevin Kiermeyer's. I don't think that's true. But right. do you think that that it's it's a similar thing Good. in that? It's been something that because of the defensive metrics, you know, he he hasn't necessarily been subject to defensive metrics, but he has that sort of. Am I doing? Am I making a comparison based on, based on color? Is no, I don't right think now? so. Am I doing that? I don't know. Are you? White? I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, I might be. It's you're not. Be. Look, no, it's I, true. I like, don't don't apologize. <laughs> You know, because when you when you're talking to and it's almost I almost go out of my way to do it. Like I just prefer I think that it's easy a lot of times to do comps that are uh affected by a player's race. And like it totally happens mm-hmm. when I'm talking about prospects with scouts where they it's just more common for if a guy is going to make a comp and I never I never solicit them they just sort of come up naturally right was Haniger uh, a college guy yeah it looks like he was he went to Cal Poly didn't he mm-hmm. interesting okay <sighs> Haniger I suppose they're the same way and that they they were kind of small school guys who are probably defensively um, like advanced, but don't necessarily receive credit for it. With Haniger, and, the problem has been that he's always been blocked by somebody who's just superior in center field. Yeah. So on call up, and it you're was saying you're going to Pollock, and at various levels, it's been like Ender and Ciarte and such. <laughs> Sure, sure. Well, and CRT is really good. So, so you're saying, so what did you say, 1.7? I said 1.7, yeah. 1.7, okay. <clears throat> Handiger looks like he has the, he has an outfield job in, in Seattle. There's some moving pieces there, but Dyson is probably a platoon, not with Handiger. No. Um, but maybe, Guillermo Heredia. I'd say that's more likely, yeah. And Heredia is a really cool player too, by the way. I think I he's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, me too. Um, I like Heredia. They have a really cool. They have kind of a cool team now. Their team is was, really cool. <laughs> yeah, they've done they they've done a lot of cool things. I mean, the outfield defense now is is pretty insane. Yeah, I'm fascinated by get... by several of the the players on their big league roster. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. It is a crowded outfield situation, which is what makes this question. I think – can I tell you something? I think 1.7 as a median is really – I think you really did a good job. Thank I'm going to tell you that. <clears throat> and I really like Hanniger for the future. But a combination of – A combination of um, possible complications with playing time, just because there are so many guys, not because he's bad, just because there are a lot of guys, and also the way that – now, I know the Safeco 
field left field fence came in a couple years ago, but I think their left field still maybe f's a little bit with. And I'm not even. It's, it's like it's strangely something. deep, right, straight down the left field line, right? Like it is. There is like a weird cutout. Well, out. I thought maybe it was the power. I thought it was the power alley. I, we could we could definitely confirm this. But my point is yeah. that it might play with approach. Not so much that he would sure. be playing totally normally, but it might play with approach. I'm going to take the under, but I think you did a really good job of setting it. Okay, good. Well, thank. You. I think I think one point. I thought one point seven was really good. Yeah, made it yeah, tough for it's, me. It's interesting. Made it tough for me. Um, Leonis Martin has the center field job by the balls, right? Like, cause that guy, he's so good out there. Right. And then if anything, I think that's ha- how, yeah, that's how it's phrased in the Bible. Yeah. And then if any, and low, he did grabbeth the center field job by the scrotum. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, he and grabbed, then if, he but actually, if anything happens, no, it was one of, it was one of the afflictions of Job. He grabbed, <laughs> he grabbed Job by the center field Job by the scrotum. And that was one of his many afflictions. <laughs> This is Old Testament. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Yeah. yeah. Um, but if anything happens to Martin, then Dyson is the guy who moves there next. And then if anything happens to Dyson, you could make the argument Heredia plays in center before Hanniger does, even though Hanniger's a, like he's a plus run guy. They got, a lot, they got a lot of talented guys out there. Yeah, they do. It's a very interesting yeah, roster. Do. Ariel Miranda, too, is another guy who I just I think is really interesting uh, on that club. I just wish they had better first baseman. Okay. I started off with a pitcher. Then we're yep. moving on to number six. My third entry to the 2017 over-under prospect game. Uh, I did Jose De Leon, mm-hmm. followed by Charlie Tilson. Now I will bring us to Jarrell Cotton. Ooh. I believe is st- Okay. Well, Cotton, I believe, is still – he is definitely rookie eligible, rookie eligibility intact. And while he will not necessarily be a feature player uh, in the opening day rotation, I think that he, I think he has a fifth starter spot probably is what it looks like. Jarrell Cotton was excellent in the minor leagues, not unlike uh, his former organization mate, Jose De Leon, mm-hmm. um, and also like De Leon, went to – a bit of an obscure school, and also like De Leon is change-up first guy. Cotton Definitely. was really his run prevention numbers were ama- were amazing through uh, his brief time with Oakland this past year, mm-hmm. but also um, uh, his fielding independent numbers were were slightly above average as well. His projections are quite good. I gave I gave two point I gave two wins for Jose De Leon. Mm-hmm. Jarrell Cotton, who I think I'm going to say he's like a hair's breadth less exciting, but still quite good. I think. Um, but I think he's also has a, more of a role with the team. So my projection will actually be slightly more optimistic. Jarrell Cotton, right-hander for the Oakland A's, native of the Virgin Islands. I assign I will I will submit an over/under figure of 2.2 wins. 2.2 wins. Man, I think you hit it on the head too. If you were going to say anything under two, I was going over. Um, man. 
Yeah, so Cotton, here's, and I, this might be a little inside baseball, but like I talk oh, with Cotton. That's literally, and that's I'm literally what we're talking about. Like <laughs> slash name droppy. But uh, I talked to another very well-known prospect writer about Cotton like last week. Just as an aside, we were just talking and like Cotton came up. And I just don't know – I just don't understand why we still care that a guy is 5'11", if he can do other things to mitigate the fact that he's 5'11". And I think Cotton does. And uh, so, I mean – he and I almost like him more than I like De Leon because with De Leon, it's – it's a good fastball. It's good command. It's a plus changeup, no doubt. And the breaking ball is just okay. And with Cotton, it's it's just as good of a fastball. The command certainly is not as good. But the changeup is just as good, if not better, than De Leon's. Yeah, the changeup the change might be. The changeup is, is a lot of fun. And he also has a good cutter. And I like Cotton's breaking ball more than De Leon's. So... I really, you and I both like Jarrell Cotton. There will not be any shortage of love for Jarrell Cotton when the, the two of us are speaking. But it is important yeah. for me to note that there, like, he does have his detractors out there who think that because of his size, or uh, even because he's struggled with walks at various times during his career, uh, although it's been quite a while since that's been the case, um, that he doesn't start for them. I'm going to take the over. And I'm, do- oh, I'm doing so specifically because we are using the FIP-based war. Because if we weren't, I would have no confidence in Oakland's ability to prevent runs behind him otherwise. Okay. Interesting. All right. So to recap right now, we'll, we'll go by your Sorry, Oakland. thus far. Start putting better defenders on the field, please. Your selection like, so far, you have the under on Manny Margot at 1.5 wins. You have the under on Jose De Leon at two wins, even. Mm-hmm. You have the over on Nick Senzel and Zach Birdie at 0.7 wins. You have the over on Charlie Tilson, center fielder for the Chicago White Sox, at 0.9 wins. Mm-hmm. You have the over on Mitch Hanniger at 1.7 wins. I, though I give you a lot of credit for that um, that submission, 1.7. And you have the over Jarrell Cotton. Uh, for or 2.2 wins in Oakland. Yes. Yeah. You have the over on the last four guys we've, we've looked at. Okay, good. <laughs> Surprises me, though, because... Get hurt, also... veterans! <laughs> <laughs> All right, go ahead. You're, you're, you're dude. All right. We did the crazy, will, this, will these people debut thing, so I'm going to try to avoid that. Although I am tempted to put like a point one war on Vlad Guerrero Jr. right now and see what you say. Um, okay. Uh, my fourth one for you is a guy who is just barely rookie eligible and will probably get a lot of playing time next year. And that is Cubs outfielder Albert Almora. Oh, man. Okay. Uh, so Almora... Very highly drafted out of high school, has always been more polished and uh, intangibly gifted than he has been 
productive, especially offensively. It's a very aggressive approach. He's got good contact skills. He can run. He's a terrific defensive player, despite the fact that he's not like a pure plus-plus runner or anything like that. He's just a very good feel for center field, reactions off the bat, routes, things like that. Um, Dexter Fowler is no longer in Chicago. The St. Louis Cardinals signed him and gave up their first-round pick to do so. Very uh, intelligent decision <laughs> on their part. Um, so I'm curious what you think uh, Almora is going to do based on the way you evaluate players uh, compared to the way I evaluate them. And I'm going to put 2.4. 2.4 well, uh, on Almora. <clears throat> I like Elmore a lot. Um, yeah, I guess I guess Mile uh, he makes a lot of contact and he's a yeah. good defender. So those are two points. That, you know, those are like the, for me, those are probably the two uh, items in a player's profile that I'm likely to overweight. Right. Okay. Uh, with regard to Elmore, I guess my concern is a question of playing time. And in particular with regard to the acquisition the club made of um, John Jay. And then also any attempts the the club might make to get Javier Baez uh, additional playing time. I will say that Almora is listed listed ahead of Jay on the Cubs' uh, online depth chart at this point. You can take that with whatever pillar of salt you like. Yeah, I'm going to take it with an entire pillar of salt. I think... Yeah. Um, no, I like Almora. We're heavy um, on biblical references today, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, um, <clears throat> but two point four. I think two point four is heavy. Yeah, I, I just wanted I to see how high I could make it before you. How high? How high would I have? I sounds like you're going to take the under. Yeah, I'm definitely. So I'm taking the under. Okay. That's been the easiest one for me so far. Okay. Then, Although yeah, I think I, I lean too heavily on it. I wanted to see how much I could step on the gas before you were like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> 2.4, I think, is the highest we have so far. Yeah, it definitely is. Yeah. Yeah. So you think – so you're, you're – it sounds like what, what you're saying, though, is you're confident about his ability to get playing time. I think – yes. But I think it's also uh, – it's me – it's a defensive metric stress test, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, because – That's interesting. Yeah. I don't – and maybe it's it's me trying to learn as much about you as I can too in this situation. But like it is, I don't. I think you and I both read the thing the things I wrote about Almora. Like he's more of a low end regular or bench outfielder for me because I just don't think he's going to do very much offensively. Uh, so I think the question becomes, how much does his defensive value translate to paper? And it's also interesting with, like, depending on who surrounds him in that Cubs outfield, like, they're, conceivably the Cubs could position people in, su- in such a way where Almora and Hayward are covering, like, two, like, more ground between them than Zobrist and Schwarber. You know, it's, neither of those guys is going to have a third of the outfield. Like, Almora and Hayward are covering... Just be tucked into a corner. Yeah, <laughs> just tucked into a left, like left just stick Schwarber yeah. like down the left field line, like right on the line, and be like, here, just <laughs> stop doubles <laughs> from rolling past you. Uh, so yeah, it is kind of interesting how 
his defensive numbers will be impacted by the people around him as well. I think it's just sort of going to be an interesting thing. Yeah. So you have the under on Al Moore at 2.4. Yeah, I do. Okay. Uh, you mentioned that you were going to maybe float a player just to see, to, hmm. to sort of test the playing, playing time situation. I'm not going to go very obscure, but I do know that this this player has been a flashpoint for us. Good. Yeah, this this is the ones I was hoping that we had uh, one or two of the guys like on the fringes that we could just yes or no, big leaguer or not. Um, the player who I'm about to cite is on the Yankee or he's on the Mets 40 man, but he is not expected at this point at least. He does not appear to be an option or a possibility for the opening day roster. And he actually, it looks like there's going to be some competition for the job he would have anyway. Like mm-hmm. there are like, like if one guy gets injured, another guy is already probably on the major league roster who will fill the position. And so the player that I'm going to nominate now, submit is Gavin Cicchini. Under. <laughs> <laughs> no, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. He deserves well, I'll make more it a little I'm easier. sorry. That's Gavin Cicchini. I think I think I think he's a real. Um, he's a bit of a polarizing figure because sure. he has excelled basically at every minor league level mm-hmm. in terms of those indicators that point to major league success in the future. He was pretty good last year. Um, I mean, he was good by by almost every measure last year uh, at trip at AAA for the New York sure. Mets. He makes a lot of contact. He can play sh- shortstop even if he does not excel there. And, you know, the Mets are breaking – are probably going to be having – they're going to go with Estrubal Cabrera at shortstop, suggesting right. that they're not particularly anxious about um, about defense at that position. Uh, I, I like – I actually don't – like, Chikini's a bit of player – for whom it's been hard for me to like develop real feelings because I feel like he's really good and he's just not receiving any attention. But I, I like he's for me he's like too good that I don't want to that I can't become invested in him because if I feel guilty doing it. You do not feel the same way. No. Um, <laughs> so and some of it and some of it is situational too. What is the number by the way? Before I get into it, do you have one or do you want me to? Yeah, yeah, yeah I got one. Uh, I'll say zero point four wins. Okay. Uh, yeah, that is pretty low. Uh, I, I'm still going to take the under. But here's – let me tell you why. Uh, there are contact skills there. You're not wrong about that. He's definitely got some feel for contact uh, and puts the ball in play. And we saw as much in the Fall League. He's – even with the roster surrounding him, which does have Cabrera – and yeah, like look – I'm not all that enthused about Asdrubal Cabrera as my shortstop defensively in a vacuum either. But we've talked about this, uh, and I've written about it as well. That's the kind of guy who you can hide defensively because batted ball data is so good. The range isn't great. He improved his positioning based on uh, what you know about batted ball data. He still has terrific hands, like plus-plus hands. The arm strength is there. He's great around the bag. He's just a polished fundamentally excellent defensive shortstop. And yeah, as he's entering his, oh God, I don't know, he's probably like 32 at this point. Uh, Cabrera is, like you know, the range isn't there, but there are ways of getting around that. So additionally, beyond Cabrera, Wilmer Flores is on this roster, Jose Reyes, TJ Rivera, Matt Reynolds. 
they're all on the 40 man and no, I'm not super psyched about any of them playing shortstop for me either, but they're, they're more viable than Chikini is because his issues with his arm strength and accuracy are alarming. In the fall league, <laughs> it was constantly one or two hopping first base with throws. Just doesn't have the sort of athleticism necessary to make a good, strong, accurate throw from various platforms. There are times at shortstop when you ha- you're not going to be able to set your feet and make a nice, clean Tom Amansky instructional video throw over the first base, and it happens a lot. And Chikini just doesn't have the athleticism to adjust his body and do that. And so I don't, he's not a shortstop for me at all. And as soon as that profile defensively goes away, so does everything else. And this is to say nothing of Ahmed Rosario just rocketing past him because he's one of the top five prospects in all of baseball and like is a superstar level talent, which is another thing that could happen this year. So there are a lot of reasons. Some of them are just based on Chikini himself and some of them are based on the structure, the makeup of the roster surrounding him. Uh, but I'm going to take the under there. And it's also, this is also where it's time to note that the, the thing that gave birth to this episode of the podcast was the fact that <laughs> se- se- several episodes ago, Carson. This is uh, a lifetime over under. Right. Yeah. Carson and I, uh, said Carson thinks that Ch- Chikini will have a higher war season at peak than Yoan Moncada will. And I think Moncada's peak war season will uh, be worth more wins above replacement than Chikini's entire career. Uh, which so he thinks, think which you still like think six? is preposterous, but I think it's completely reasonable. You think Makata's like, what is he going to be like a six, like a six win player at peak seven? Yeah. Like, I think, think Makata has like seasons? some five, six win seasons in it. Okay. And like, look, this isn't, he's, it's not, shouldn't be surprised to anybody when I do my top 100 list, Moncada's going to be number one. And this, the idea of these prospect lists and rankings is not who's going to be really good the moment they get called up. It wouldn't surprise me if Moncada had like two or three years of growing pains at the big league level. But when he's in his mid-twenties, late-twenties in his prime, he's gonna, I think he's going to be an absolute beast. <laughs> like a freak. Just complete monster. And I, I feel like it's – like I love Andrew Benintendi – and, but it's not sexy to have the top guy on your prospect list come up and hit 220 for his first full season. I don't care. <laughs> like I'm putting Moncada number one. All right. So listen. So you've done. You've nominated so far Man, Manny Margot, San Diego combo package of Nick Senzel and Zach Birdie, which I think is stupid. Cincinnati. Um, uh, you've, that was uh, cute and creative. <laughs> you've, you've submitted Mitch Haniger. <clears throat> you did a great job with that. Uh, Albert Amora. Ambitious with 2.4 wins. Sure. Uh, so you, and now you've just you've just invoked your Mankata and Andrew Benatendi. However, uh, both of them. I mean, Benatendi surely, Mankata potentially will receive major. I, mean, I almost certainly will receive major league playing time. Anyway, you've you've invo- you've you've nominated neither of them. So what are you going to do? What, who's your last guy? <laughs> yeah, I thought about uh, putting like a three. On Benintendi or something, just to see what you would do. Um, but that's 
I kind of I think that kind of feels like a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I've got a bunch of guys here as my fifth guy, and none of them is sticking out to me as anyone that I'm particularly enthused about about asking. <sighs> Steven Gonzalez is the one where I that I think is interesting. So let's do that one. All right, you short circuit me with Gonzalez. Oh, okay. So, yeah, so let gonna... me explain. Let me explain. Uh, Steven Gonzalez is a lefty in the twin system who he pitched at AAA last year, right? Um, and the numbers are really good. And I saw him in the fall league and I sit down to watch him for his first start. And the radar gun says, like 86 to 89, touching 92. And I, I'm i like, okay, you know, it's Fall League. This guy's got some deception to his delivery. Like, it's a big, lanky, six foot five lefty. Let's see how this goes through multiple innings and you know, how these hitters adjust. The fourth or fifth inning rolls around, and he's still carving guys up. And, like, the changeup's really good, and the breaking ball has good depth to it. But he's still like 86, 89 and missing bats up <laughs> with his fastball. And so I go up to the press box because at Surprise, uh, where the Rangers have spring training, they've got a, the track man laptop is up there. And the no. right on the, <laughs> so like I'm looking over. Are you going to do some peeking? Is yeah, that... I did some peeking. And so it turns out like the fastball spin rate is pretty good. And uh, there's like it plays up in the zone. And this is a guy who did not pit, I was mistaken. He had a 1.82 ERA at double A as, as a 21 year old, uh, over 13 starts and struck out 89 guys in 74 innings there. Um, so the stuff seems to play despite the fact that it doesn't light you up in a traditional way. And the performance is there, including half a season, a strong half season at uh, the upper levels in the Southern League. So uh, he's... The Twins are obviously rebuilding. They have the number one pick in the draft. Uh, it's They've got new leadership. They've got some time. They've got a mess of young upper-level pitching. Gonsalves is not on the 40-man at the moment. Uh, so I submit to you an over under of one, one war. 1.0. 1.0. That's optimistic. Sure. I'm going to take the under. Okay. A lot of it has to do, again, with ignorance. That was my. That was largely my approach with Nick Senzel and Zach Birdie combined. I thought for sure you'd be all over this guy. <laughs> I should I have said I, Zach Granite? Do you want a Zach Granite over under? <laughs> were you Were you going to do Zach Granite? I mean, he was on the. I tried to spread out like the teams and the players we talked about all over the place. Well, so so here's when I'm looking for pitchers. And actually, I, did, I, did, I didn't ask you about this guy today. Ryan Helsley. Do you know the, does, does that name ever come up when you were working yeah. on the Cardinals list? Yeah, he was on – everybody I talked to was just like, come on, how many middle relievers are we going to talk about? <laughs> that's what I brought up Helsley. That's so, what they said about Ryan Helsley? Yeah, that's kind of so, – that's, that's basically what I have. I can – hold on. Let me see if I can 
That's interesting because so when I was looking uh, to when I was looking for Sestouli's guy, so I was thinking going into it, it's definitely going to be Wilfredo Tovar, and I would like to say right now I am not necessarily I do, I don't necessarily have great hopes for Wilfredo Tovar's major league career, but at the same time I like I Tovar think that too he's, though. Yeah, I think he's I think he's fine, and I think that you know especially like in a I don't know it's. It's a bit of a crutch, but I said, like, in an organization like the Cardinals, like, they'll figure out what to do with him. But I saw uh, – I looked at – I found Ryan T- Helsley. His numbers at low A last year were fantastic, and he throws hard. He throws above – he throws harder than 95. And so that, for me, if I, if a guy has excellent indicators, and he's also throwing quite hard – then I say, well, this this means something. Sure. But <clears throat> he was only at low A. Right. And also, I was watching him, and of course, six my, foot righty. Yeah, but in, in his also his his mechanics. I don't necessarily have the uh, the lexicon to describe it that you do, but he separated real early, and he had a he had a kind of a long unwieldy arm action. Mm-hmm. And so I said. I, I did something, I, I, which I think it probably isn't terrible. I said, well, do, are there any major leaguers that I watch who do that? And there were not a lot of starters who do that. Right. That's what I said. Yeah, I think that um, you I think you described it very well. It's yeah. definitely a longer arm action. He's one of those guys who, like, um, who it looks like he's – like the, his arm hangs up behind his head throughout a lot of the delivery, and then he sort of – like slings it, you know what I mean? He looked like you know what he looked like when he was throwing a lot. He looked like a guy who was at a minor league game, like in the concourse, and there was, um, and they had it set up there, that sort of contraption where you get to have throw three yellow dimpled balls, <laughs> and you could throw them, and it will tell you how how fast you're throwing. Like he was using almost those mechanics when I saw him throw. Sure, yeah, it's um. I agree with you that it's not it's not a good arm action. It's a it was described by someone I spoke to as uh deliberate and easy to time, like it is paced in such a way that uh hitters have are have are get comfortable in the box against him and can sort of time up his fastball already as he's starting his delivery because everything happens at such a uniform pace. Mm-hmm. Uh which is the same way that Mark Appel's struggles have been described, uh, or as a potential reason for them, anyway. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. So yeah, like Helsley based, and it's a mature, like six foot, six one, two, two hundred, two ten, something like that. Like it's not. There's not a whole lot of projection there. Uh, so as far as Helsley is concerned, I was told this guy is maybe a middle reliever and is also like a 22 year old at low A. Which, if you wanted to stick him on the back end of the honorable mentions, like I could go in and do that for you if you want. Uh, I I already added a guy actually to the Cardinals list today since we published because a scout texted me and was like, hey, do you have any notes on this guy? And I did not. And, uh, so. Well, I won't, don't tell me who it is and I won't say. It's Daniel Ponce de Leon. (laughs) It's Daniel Ponce de Leon. Yeah, I don't care. It's okay. Like I'm not, I'm only one man. I can't. It, he just ended up in the honorable mention section as someone who might be like a maybe like a back end starter. He's a twenty four or twenty five year old who pitched well at double A. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. We are to 
We're to the 10th player in the 2017 over-under prospect game. Okay. And uh, I'll, be, I'll do something for, for the sake of, you know, making fun for both of us. Mm-hmm. I got four guys on my list here who I was prepared to discuss maybe to some degree or is expecting maybe to have to. And uh, I'll let you choose the guy. How about that? Okay, that's gracious of you. I should have done that for you as well. No, it's fine. It's fine. No, no, it's fine. No, I'll be following with Steven Gosalves now. I'm very skeptical. I'm happy to have taken the under. But you're right. They're going to – I mean, with uh, Falvey in charge, they'll probably be willing to – you know, audition some guys at the major league level. Right. And the guys they have on the 40 man right now, there are some prospects, uh, Adalberto Mejia, who they got from the Giants, uh, over the, over the summer. He should make his, he, he should exhaust his rookie eligibility next year. Fernando Romero, who other people are higher on than I yeah, am. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fernando, yeah, that's interesting. Um, he's another guy who's on their 40 man who, uh, I would anticipate gets gets a big league shot this year for no other reason than to see what they can make of it before he gets hurt again. Yeah, so Gonzalez is kind of mm-hmm. lo- is lower on the pecking order, but he's just the guy of that group who I think has the highest, who I thought ho- most of during the uh, during the Twins list. Now I'll tell you two guys who uh, are not I will not be nominating, mm-hmm. uh, but are interesting to me. One of them is Johan Gregorio. Yep, Gregorio. he was on my short list too. Yeah. Okay, he's interesting. Yep. He's a behemoth of a man. Yes, he he's is. got <laughs> weird arm action slightly, and maybe he can only get righties out. But he he had a great se- he had a really good season at, at what Triple A was it? He made it to Triple A at least. Yeah. There. Uh, another another pitcher who really interests me is uh, Jamie Jamie Schultz in the Tampa Bay system. Mm. You, are you familiar with Schultz at all? Less less than you are at this point, I'm sure. Throws hard. Uh, he got a lot of strikeouts. Has had problems with control and command, command mm. and control. Eric, <laughs> allow me to submit though four names to you, and uh, you can pick, and then I will I will uh, offer an over under on them. Okay. I'll do that in alphabetical order by last name. <laughs> Andrew Benintendi, outfielder for the Boston Red Sox. All right. Herman Marquez, a right-hander in the Colorado Rockies system. Also on my short list of guys to Inter- ask you about. Interesting. Max yep. Schrock, a prospect yes. in the Oakland system, formerly Washington, really and future, future MVP. <laughs> and uh, yes. also, let's see. Oh, yeah, left-hander, Kansas City Royals, maybe a starter, Matt and or Matthew Strom. Matt and or Matthew Strom. Um, uh, I'd say... Pick from Strom and Marquez. Pick from Strom and Marquez. Well, let's talk about the Rockies because the Rockies sure. uh, another interesting really team. interesting club. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, Marquez. So the Rockies. We we've had more Rockies content at the site in like the last week than probably the entire year before that combined. Um, or let's say that I mean like going back to with the signing of Ian Desmond. There's been probably more content, but there's been a lot in the last week. And um, that's right. For, for me, I wrote the Zips projections post based off Dan Zimborski's numbers, and I was forced to contend with the fact, or an unusual, an unusual suggestion, which is that the Rockies are probably have both a slightly above average uh, field group of field players and starting pitchers, mm-hmm. Just, um, and uh, and a, a good relief core as well. 
and despite the fact that get, it's going to get better. Which part of it? All of it? I, another year of uh, Charlie Sheen and uh, Ryan Gonzalez looked like he'd have some some bullpen value in the fall league. He, Charlie he, Sheen? Yeah, Carlos Estevez. <laughs> oh, okay. Aren't you aware that that's his his birth name? I did not know. Actually, I did not know that. You're, yeah. But you're right, though. I should have. Charlie Sheen is, was born Carlos Estevez. Carlos Estevez. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. He's a Latin gentleman. I should. I mean, of course, his brother's name is Emilio. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's Martin Sheen's uh, first real first name? I think it's just Martin. Martin Estevez. Oh, Martin. Okay, yeah, Martin Estevez. It's interesting. Right. Wow, you can really anglicize someone real quick. Sheen. Yeah, it's easy. Gordon it's easy. Bombay. <laughs> um. Dean. Martin Dean. Dean Martin. Mm-hmm. Dean Martin. What do you think his name was? Was it Dino Martini? What do you think Dean Martin's real real name was? I don't know. What was it? Let me tell you. Dino Paul Crocetti. Ah. He's from Steubenville. You know, Steubenville. Okay, Herman Marquez, a right-hander, who made a brief appearance at the end of last year. Um and showed good velocity, which is something that he was known for as a minor leaguer. Uh, what else he's done? I mean, he's done – he has a, a an excellent combination of velocity and control, right? Con- velocity, from my point yeah. of view, velocity and low walk rates. And so that almost always ends up in something promising. And, because, a six, and like a six breaking ball. <laughs> is it? Okay, all right. So yeah, that's really something – all right. Um, he has not posted – outlandish strikeout rates in the minor leagues. But again, he's had decent strikeout walk rate differentials combined with the velocity. It's impressive. Now, we are looking at uh, FIP-based war here. But of course, FIP-based war is park-adjusted. So um, there might still be some effects from cores, but at least the park effects. This is not really taking account to the, the air specifically in any in any confidence a pitcher might lose in his stuff based off of the thin air. Uh, but it is accounting for park effects. So even if he has an inflated uh, FIP or whatever, it'll, it'll be adjusted to park. Um, Herman Marquez. Entering his age 22 season. He does not have a place in the starting rotation lined up for him. but <clears throat> And actually the starting rotation is pretty good. Uh, Jeff Hoffman, I think, is a projected number five, and he's projected for two wins as well. But, yeah, you know, he, Marquez will probably find his way into the club, to the club at some point. I'm going to say, for Herman Marquez, 0.6 wins. Yeah, I think I'm going to take the over. Okay. And now you could – is it because you see him getting starts then? I do, yeah. I think – I think that this team is – I think this team is like on the precipice of competing. Their Major League roster has gotten markedly more athletic over the last 12 months. Adding 
Ian Desmond to like a core that included Arenado and David Dahl, Charlie Blackman. Like these are really good athletes. DJ LeMay, he was like a big physical athlete. I think this is a really interesting club. And Marquez is 21. Like he doesn't turn 22 until February. He debuted in the big leagues at 21. So I'm not sure. He only had five starts at AAA before they bumped him up too. So like there is certainly still some room there to grow. The changeup, I think it will come, but it hasn't yet. Uh, so there's still stuff there to work on. But I think, I think in general, teams need between seven and ten starters over the duration of a mm-hmm. season because guys get hurt. There are circumstances where you just need that many guys to come up and and make a couple starts. And I think on the hierarchy of Rockies starters, that Marquez is high enough that he's it's not like he's going to just ha- make six or seven starts for the big club. I think like there's this, I can envision a scenario where he makes like ten to twelve starts. Yeah. And I do think that the the combination of the fastball, the breaking ball, and the command. Uh, can can get him beyond what you set over under wise, yeah. and even if the changeup isn't quite there this year, pitching two and a half times, three times through the lineup uh, with those two pitches is okay. I think with the bullpen that they're going to have in Colorado, which I agree is, it looks like it's going to be pretty tough, even. Beyond Estevez and McGee and whatever Greg Holland has left, Adovino, like they're a good guy. Miguel Castro is still only like 22 or something like that. Uh, Ryan Gonzalez was, hold on. A lot of the guys they had in Fall League last year are are on the 40 man and are going to make some sort of difference. I have Zach Hemiola at like 91 to 95 with an above average slider. Uh, and in a relief role, Shane Carl was 92-93. I have a four on the slider, but like an average change, which I think is viable in the bullpen. Ryan Gonzalez has been up to like 97-98. I think I had him during Instructional League. Yeah, 93-96 with cut. Um, so like they've, there's interesting stuff there. And to say nothing of like some random hard-throwing guys they have a little lower in the system that might pop up and make some sort of big league impact. So like, I think the bullpen is going to allow for uh, guys like Marquez and Hoffman who maybe aren't finished products to still be pretty effective. Even if their roles are a little less efficient, even if they're only going five, six innings to start. So I think Marquez is going to be fine. And I'm going to take the over. Excellent. Let me repeat. Uh, these are the 10 selections. I will, I will, what I will do is I will publish a companion post on Instagrams. Cool. to this edition of the program, and we can revisit it over the course of the season. And we can evaluate the the volume of our manly virtue by it. Mm-hmm. And Manly. And our, yeah, sure. Masculine <laughs> virtue. And then, of course, there's the bet for sangria. So but The most masculine of all beverages is sangria. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. I think it's, it doesn't matter. I think it's fantastic. Makes me feel good. Makes me feel like. Makes you feel makes strong. Me feel like I'm a star. Yeah. Yeah. Manny Margot, 1.5 wins. You have the under. Jose De Leon, 2 wins. You have the under. 
combo combo package. Stupid combo package of Nick Senzel and Zach Birdie. That's 0. not 0. 0.7 <laughs> wins. You have the over. You have the over. Charlie Tilson, 0. 0.9 wins. You have the over. Mitch Haniger, Seattle Mariners right fielder, 1.7 wins. You have the over. Jarrell Cotton, right-handed starter for Oakland, 2.2 wins. You have the over on that. I think that might be... I know the next one is actually the, the highest figure that we quoted. It's Albert Amora, center fielder, I guess, center fielder for the Chicago Cubs. Yeah, 2.4 wins. You have the over. Gavin Cicchini doesn't matter what the figure is. It ended up being 0. 0.4 wins, but you were, you were eager to take the under on that. Uh, Steven Gonzalez, left-hander for the Minnesota Twins, starter, one win even. You have the over. And Herman Marquez, uh, probably a starter for the Colorado Rockies, right-hander, um, has pitched in relief, though, as well for the team. 0.7 wins, you have the over. So you have the over on 7 of 10. Aggressive. Like, yeah. Aggressive. Yeah, a little aggressive on the value. And uh, we'll look to it. We'll, it'll, be, it'll be a pleasure to follow it over the course of the season. I agree. You, what do you think about this? Did it work out, you think? Yeah. 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 I thought this was a fun podcast to do. And we have our lifetime bet as well, our career bet. Lifetime. Which is... Which we're, you I'm have, sure we'll all be around to see. You'll have to concede... <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> you'll have to concede at some point. Like, if Gavin Chikini, if he reaches 10 career wins, it doesn't look good for Mankata at that point, does it? You think, you think Mankata will have a 10-win season? No, probably not. <laughs> When's the last probably. time Trout, right? That's like Trout re- Trout level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like prime 80-run yeah. level Trout. Right. Yeah. I just went on that's, I just went on the that. site and clicked on the player search and like the list of the guys that are the most searched major league players right now is hilarious. Uh, Aubrey Huff is in there. <laughs> Yeah, yes, Aubrey Huff is number one. I don't necessarily know the logic behind the other ones. What, what, what's J.P. Howe? What did he do? I don't know. That's why I, it was just weird to see him up there. Yeah, Aubrey Huff is, uh, well, well, yeah. Yeah. It's always fun to see which of the guys from my chat and the and prospect list end up on the minor league search Yeah, bar. a bunch of minor league guys there. Benintendi, Dahl, Bregman, Alex Reyes. Trevor's story, not precisely. And then, of course, on the, all the minor leaguers. Yeah, all the minor you leaguers. Had, you had questions about Michael Kopech today? I did. I had. I think I had one. Did I have – I think I had one. I don't remember if I answered it or not. No, I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. Okay. Um, he – I think that he came up – he came up a lot in the queue more than I answered questions in the chat because uh, I think Keith had him ranked really high, right? Like I think – Keith had him ranked overall, like in his top ten or something like that. So uh, it's it's been weird. the The chats in general, up until now, had been pretty devoid of questions about other publications' lists. And then today, it was like forty percent of the questions were, "What did you think oh, okay. of 
you know, Keith putting this guy here. What did you think of MLB.com putting this guy there? I even had somebody ask me, what of the other prospect write, like writing publications do you have any respect for? <laughs> like somebody asked me that in chat. Like I'd like I'd actually answer that question. JP Hall has a deal with the Jays. Is oh, okay. the other answer? That's great. Okay. Hey, this has been great. Uh, let's stop it. Sure. We can chat briefly offline. I'll tell and, you. And uh, then we'll be done. <laughs> no. Of course. <laughs> I'm not that kind of person. Everyone works hard. It's a hard thing. It's a hard thing to do. Yeah. It's hard to make mistakes. I wish people didn't work hard. And most people, yeah. sure. And most people um, don't understand how close. How you know how razor thin the margins between being ranked like twenty five and being ranked eighty five really are, uh, and it looks it looks as though opinions vary greatly on our lists from list to list, but in reality, that sort of variation is pretty rare. Yeah, variation. Mm-hmm. All right. Hey. Yeah. Hey. It was fun. It was a lot of it was a lot. Of, sure. It was great. It was a real pleasure. I say thank you, Eric Longenegan. You're welcome, Carson Sestouli. That has been lead prospect analyst Eric Longenegan. I'm Carson Sestouli. I'm Eric Longenegan. This has been Fingers on <laughs>